Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's begin five lines from the bottom on Yudam and Beis. I'm a layer of Kahano, the Rav, other Gersos, some say Rava. At the time of the Kosovo Rachmona, Vamis Yiyelo, your rationale is based on the verse Vamis Yiyelo. See the verse for a moment. It's in Shmos Chapal Flamadalet. Valabari Shalim Kesef Yoshiv Luba Olov Vamis Yiyelo. So we're talking about someone whose ox fell into another person's pit and the owner of the pit is liable to pay for the damage. He must compensate him money for his loss. And the verse concludes, Vames yilo, and the carcass shall be for him. Which is a little bit obscure. Umar is taking on that it means for the nizik, the one who is damaged, the original owner of the, the animal that fell and died. Olav hachi havamina novelo de mazik If not for this verse, would we have said that the corpse, this the carcass, would be the property of the owner of the pit, the damager? Hashto iisle lidide kamatrefus yodle. So if kind of saying, it's obvious that he can pay him the corpse. There's no need for the verse to point this out. If he had, let's say, the owner of the pit had a whole bunch of carcasses. So he obviously could make restitution by giving these carcasses to the damaged party. Domamar, as the master stated, Yoshiv. The verse says, Yoshiv, he shall return. This verse that we looked at, Yoshiv Lebaalo. The rabbis shall have He shall return, even though the verse says Kesef, the additional word Yoshiv is to include even Shava Kesef. He can make restitution with any item of value. It does not have to be, strictly speaking, money. Afilu Subin. He can even use Bran. It's a fairly low-grade Commodity. I'm sorry, what can he use? Bran. As in the, the grain? Yes, it's, it's considered the inferior component of grain. Interesting. It's not particularly valuable. Obviously, a lot of bran is worth a lot of money, sure. but it's not an especially prized commodity. But restitution can be made by the damaging party, the owner of this bar, the, the, the pit, can pay the victim... <clears throat> the owner of the animal that died, with Baran. So certainly can pay him with Trefus. If he has some carcasses, he's allowed to use those. He's allowed to use any Shavakasa. So today, me boy, is there any need to tell us in the verse that he has this ability? So rather, the verse is not coming to tell you that the obvious, right? That's obvious. And we have a separate derivation for Shavakasev Kekasev. 
So why does the Torah say this aspect of Kana's is Omidon, and the carcass shall be to him to tell you to tell you that the depreciation of the carcass it goes down in value is the problem, so to speak, of the damaged party. Let's see how Rashi speaks to him. The necessity of the verse to speak out that the damaged party deals with the carcass that makes yellow is for Ella Prasnavela, is for the Chidush of Prasnavela. This is what the verse is coming to say. That from the time of death, the carcass is considered in the domain of the damaged party. Meaning, obviously, it was his prior. It was his animal that fell into this pit and died. But the question is, after it died, how do we view it now? It's no longer functionally of the same utility that it was when it was alive. It's been damaged beyond recognition. You can't use this donkey, for example, to schlep. Or if it's an ox, it's not going to be plowing anymore. It's dead. So it's still considered in his domain. That's the Chiddush is, the, the novelty here. And if it began to rot and lose value from the time of death, until the time that they're able to evaluate the appropriate assessment of how much it's worth, which is necessary because the one who caused damage has to make restitution. But how do you know how much restitution to make? You have to look at what the ox was worth before and what it was worth after. But there are two stages here. There's the immediate result of dying in the pit, and then there could be further depreciation between the ox dying and actually bringing it up, getting it evaluated. If it takes too long, the the meat is going to be inferior. What do you do with the gap between the value at death and the value at Hamodabedin, the time it's actually brought up to be judged how much it's worth? That amount, say the Deniziku, that is on the one who's damaged, Mishalim Mazik, and the one who caused damage, the owner of the the bit, the, the bore, the pit, Mishalim Mazik, have a yeser al domim shaisnavelo shava bishas misa. He has to pay the restitution, the value, the monetary compensation, the value that this novella was worth, uh, above and beyond what this novella was worth, what this carcass was worth, at the time of death. So just to put some numbers on it, let's say, for example, it was worth 200 at the time when it was alive, and then when it fell into the pit, it went down to 100, it died, had it been recovered right away, 
So then it'd be easy. It was not recovered right away. It started to deteriorate because it took too long. And now when they're actually evaluating, it's worth 80. So in such a case, the mazik, the one who owns the pit, has to pay the difference between the value originally and the value at the time of death. He's got to compensate the owner of this ox 100. And it's considered already in the domain of the one who's damaged from the time of death. So from 100 to 80, that is on the nizik's dime, so to speak, the one who's damaged. He's got to sustain that loss independently. Continuing the Gemara. Lemo Prasnavelo tonight. Let us suggest that this discussion of Prasnavelo, the deterioration of the carcass, who is responsible for that, who's got to take that hit, is a debate among Tanoim. The Tanya, as was taught in Abraisa, this is a Pasek, Shmos Chavbez Yudbez, Im Tarof Yitarev, if it shall be ripped, turned into a trefa, Yiviehu, aid a trefa, Lo Yishalem. That's the verse. So we're talking about a guardian who has this animal in his charge. He's a watchman. And if it has been, the animal has been turned, uh, ripped, it's, it's no longer a viable animal. So what happens? The first opinion, Tanakama holds, top of Yeralaf Meralaf, Yavi Edim Shnitrafah, Be'onif Upatim. When the Pasuk says, Yavi Eid, Yavi Ehu Eid, bring him, bring for himself, I mean, to the, the injured party, the, the owner of the object, this, of this animal, bring testimony that it became trefa, it was ripped up. Beones, it happened by means that were out of his control, so the guardian is not considered liable. He'll be positive, he'll be exempt from the liability that would otherwise be his responsibility. He would have to pay or take an oath to exempt himself from payment. Let's see, Rashi. Upater, Dishomer Sachar, Pater, Beonsin. A paid watchman is not held liable for things that are called Onsin. He got struck by lightning. Something happened that was beyond his responsibility. Kedersiv Be, Umes, as is written concerning him, and if it dies, O Nishba, or broke, O Nishba, or captured, Ein Roy, if there is no witness, then an oath, he takes an oath by God's name, and that will be between the two of them, between the two parties, and he will be exempt. In this case, it says Potter, he doesn't have to do anything. What's the case that he doesn't have to do anything? He will not have to take an oath because he has witnesses. That is the first opinion, the Tanakhama. Abishol Omer, Abishol disagrees, he says, Yavi Aduda Lebezdin. What does the Pasuk mean when it says, Yviyehu aid. A different interpretation. Yaviyaduda. Rashi says, what is Aduda? Nevela. 
bring the corpse, this, this uh, <clears throat> carcass, into the court. Not witnesses. My love, Baha Kamifagi, is it not this debate between the Tanakhama and Abishal? Is it not that they're arguing about this very matter? What does he bring it for the court? Rashi says, Lebezdin, Lashuma, Kamenishavit. Bring it to the court to evaluate what is the appraisal of this carcass. Bahachimash Makra. This is the implication of the verse. Yiviehu aid hatrefalo yishalim. Yavi ha'aduda. Bring in this carcass. Kedachsiv, where we find such a terminology? Interestingly enough, Rashi brings a verse in Bereshis Memtes concerning the blessing of Yaakov to Binyamin. Baboke, yochel adahainu shalom. Aid. Baboke, yochel aid. The the uh, the verse that he's quoting over here is is mashma. The Hainoshola is mashma that it's the the booty that is a standard targum kim targuminan ada the Aramaic usage of how to say shalal how to say uh, something that has been conquered or also in this case the carcass is uh, is another terminology describing. Metaphorically, Binyamin, the tribe of Benjamin, as a wolf. So, that is describing Ada, the, the Shalal, in this terminology, <clears throat> and that, although the Targum there doesn't translate, it, it explains the, the metaphor there as referring to the sacrificial service, but nonetheless, that is the usage that the Targum use, uh, uses, if you look, for example, Rashi mentions there that that's the uptitch of the verse, that's the translation in a, in a straightforward sense, as does the Ibn Ezra. And if you want to see in Targum, so you'll see a usage, for example, in Bamibar Laman Aleph Yidalef, where the Targum of Shalal, of this booty of war, is translated as Adah. So that's another usage that Abishol is saying is appropriate over here. So the Gemara is suggesting, my love, is it not that they're arguing about this point? Is that not their debate? Who has to deal with the depreciation from the time of the damage when the animal died? And then until the animal is actually appraised, the, the carcass now that's remaining, how much more does the one who owned the pit have to pay? So that's, let's see how Rashi speaks out this machlokas, the supposed machlokas. My love, how come I The ba'onsin, Certainly, in a case of onsin, there's actually no debate. Abishal will not contest the Don't think that he would say that if 
there was some event that caused the death of the animal that was in his charge, and he was a shomer sacher, he was a hired watchman, <clears throat> paid, he's potter for Muslim, he's exempt from liability if something out of his control takes place and causes damage to his charge. That is not debated. Abishol doesn't disagree with that. That is broadly accepted. The paid watchman is not liable for onsen. Rather, this is what is being presented. If the animal was torn by negligence, that should be subject to payment, he should bring the carcass into the equation. Who is going to take the carcass? <coughs> he, the paid watchman will bring this as the initial payment and add on to that from his house whatever the value was at the time of death he's going to compensate and bring it back to the unchanged value and the owner's portfolio. Yes, he doesn't have a lamb right now, let's say. He's got some uh, Nevela lamb chops. But whatever remains, whatever happened, that value at the time of death, that is, is going to be the baseline upon which the paid watchman is going to have to compensate above and beyond that to bring the owner back up to not having any, sustained any financial loss. If you'd be talking about the money in the present, it's not necessary. If he would have other carcasses, that he could give to him, all the more so he could give this. Certainly the idea of bringing in the carcass is not any different, as we said before, than bringing in Subin, you could use bran or anything. This is telling you a novelty, not of how he can pay. He can pay with any Shavakas that we already know. As it says, Yoshib, it's telling you that the Pras Nevelo, the payment is from the point of death, when it becomes, as Rashi says, in the Rashus of the Nizik. It's considered at that point in the domain of the one who's damaged, and the compensation to make whole that which was lost is from that evaluation, the evaluation of its, what this carcass is worth at the time of death. Tanakama, who does not dash in this way, Tanakama doesn't say to bring in the carcass. He says, bring in witnesses. We're suggesting that he disagrees and holds that that's not the case, and it's the mazik's responsibility. What it doesn't matter what it's worth at the time of death, if it goes down further and he wants to make restitution, he's got to give the full value at the time it's handed over. So the Tanakamo doesn't have, if you don't have this as a novelty, so then you will not say it. And therefore, by default, you would say that the damager is fully responsible 
and we will not view it as in the domain of the damaged party, the owner of this animal, from the time of death. That is a chiddush of the kra. If you darshan it, if you don't have that available, you will not darshan it. And that is the Gemara's suggestion, that the machlokas between the Tanakamo and Abishol is this very point. Chas Nevelev, the Nizik. Is, is that the case or not? Masav Chas Nevelev, the Nizik, that Abishol holds Chas Nevelev is of the Nizik, that the value of the carcass is compensated from the time of death, on the, the, the mazik will pay from the time of death, and any deterioration is on the nizik, and the one who is damaged from the time of death on. And the Tanakama holds no, that it is all the responsibility of the owner of the pit, the damaging party. He, he caused damage. Till he makes restitution, he's got to make sure that if something has a short shelf life, he gets it to the damaged party quickly. So that's the suggestion. Gemara pushes back on that. Lo, dekuli almo denizik. Really, this is not a controversy. Everybody agrees it's denizik. That from the time of death, that's what Rashi asserts again. Others disagree. The rush happens to say that it's later if the nizik didn't know and couldn't have done anything about it. But I'll go upon him. The idea of it being the Nizik's responsibility, the Chiddush of this drasha, the Gemara is saying it's not a machlokas Tanakamo and Abishol, so what are they arguing about? Who has to exert themselves to deal with this carcass? It's a big deal. Rashi says, Laviel mokom shemei sasham, mokom shahai sasham, it's a surprising text, Others take that out. Take out Lamakam Shahai Sasham. Marshal takes it out, and it's not in the case of Yad. But it means to schlep the carcass. Abishal Sovar Al Abishal says, Who has to deal with schlepping this carcass? Get it out of the pit, bring it to be evaluated in the court, how much it's worth. That's all the Mazik's problem. He's got to get his pickup truck, got to get his ropes, he has to drag it out. It's not the Nizik's responsibility, the one who is damaged. Tarek the Nevela, who has to deal with it? Not the assessment of what it's worth, how much the Mazik's going to have to pay, but just who has to deal with it. So that's the matter under debate here. Vatanya, Rashi says, Binichusa, this is, although Vatanya typically is as a kasha, often it is binichusa, Rashi is telling us that, that this is not as a kasha, but this is being brought as a supporting brysa. Acherim omrim minayin she'al ba'al habor lahalos shor mibaro. Others say, how do we know that it is the responsibility of the damaging party, the, the one who caused damage, the owner of the pit, to bring up this ox from his pit, he's got to deal with the hassle. The verse says, money he shall restore, return to the owner and the carcass. So this Acherim uh, is saying 
that it is the responsibility of the owner of the pit, the, the cause of the damage, to deal with the metapel with the mace. He's got to give the money and also restore the, the carcass. He's got to deal with it. Rashi. He's got to bring it, he's got to deliver it to his door. It's his responsibility. He can't just say, you pull out the carcass from the pit and I'll pay you the difference. It's his responsibility to get it out and to deal with it. Omar lay Abaye le Rava. Abaye said to Rava, Hi! Trying to look precisely at this requirement to engage in transport of this carcass. What's the case? If you say that in the pit it's worth one zuz and at the edge of the pit, it's worth four zuz. So then, he's just working for himself. Meaning, typically, you would assume that there's a value for this labor. It's a big deal to schlep it out of the pit. So if you ask somebody, what's it worth? The guy looks down at the bottom of the pit, he says, wow, for me to extract that, it's going to be a lot of work, and I have to hire people. That's worth a zuz. But if it's by the edge of the pit, ready for the taking, so then it's worth a four. So the owner of the pit is busy just trying to salvage the value because he wants to use that to pay the owner of the ox. So that's pretty straightforward. Rashi says, The edge of the pit, he's busy working on his own, and he's just maximizing his own assets in the sense that he's preserving for himself the ability to, to save the need to shell out more money. Obviously, the owner of the pit is going to be interested in if he's able to pass off this novella, this carcass now, to the victim and give him less out of pocket. And if it's worth more when he pulls it up, so of course he's going to want to say, well, it's, it's worth four zoos if I pull it up. Let me do that for you, hmm. and I'll have to pay you less. So what do you need a verse for? If he says no, you take it from here. So fine, he'll just have to pay more out of pocket. So what's the what's the chiddush? What do you need a verse to tell you this for? That it is the owner of the pit's responsibility. Amale. So Rava responded. Lo No, it is necessary. You do need a chiddush, a novelty from the verse to teach you this: that the owner of the pit is liable, responsible, to deal with this carcass in the bottom of the pit because sometimes it's actually worth the same. In the pit it's worth one zuz and at the edge of the pit it's also worth a zuz and yet somebody's going to have to schwitz and pull 
and tug, heave ho, and there's no difference in the value. Umika kagana, is there such a thing? And yes, there is. Daha amre inchi, as this aphorism people say, Keshura masa bezuza, Keshura bedabra bezuza. Rashi says Keshura is a kara, a beam. Somebody has a beam or a log. What is it worth in the city? Azuz. What is it worth in the forest? Also azuz. Rashi says, Bedabra besade, avagav, shemechosa aval ir, Even though it does not include the transportation, it's still this log that's the same log. What is it worth? One zuz. Whether it's purchased with delivery or without delivery. So you do find such a thing that the price, although sometimes it shouldn't logically be equivalent, but in certain markets you'll find this quirk that shipping is included and the price for shipping and the price not including shipping is the same. So therefore it is necessary there's not a financial incentive for the owner of the pit to preserve the money that's in his bank account, to personally engage in pulling up this carcass. doesn't make a difference financially. Nonetheless, he is responsible for it. It's his responsibility. Amar Shmuel. Shmuel said, Ain shaman lo leganav velo legazlan. The idea of making an appraisal that is not done for a thief or a robber. It is only done for damaging. If one was damaged and the property went down in value, then you make this appraisal. This case that we've been describing, something like it, where one person's ox falls into another person's pit, so then you have a shuma, you'll make a shamaos, an appraisal, and that is part of the restitution. That's only done by Nizakin, but not for Ganavagazan. Let's see Rashi, Amar Shmuel. Minig Dayonin, this is the custom among judges. Shem Shaman Lola Gana, the Lola Gazlan, that an evaluation is not made for one who steals. Shem Gana, the Gazan. Behemoth, somebody stole an animal, o kalim, or vessels, v'nifchasu, etzlo, and they went down in value in the possession of the thief or the robber. We do not evaluate what they're worth and require the owner, the victim over here was stolen from, to take the carcass or the broken goods that the one who stole is going to include that in his restitution. Rather, he has to pay top quality goods, and he can keep that which was damaged. So if he stole a mint condition object, say a perfectly a perfect brand new watch, and he wore it, and now it's only in fair condition, Value went down significantly. So now, when he's caught, or decides to do tshuva, whatever it might be, the original owner, the victim, 
does not have to take the damaged watch plus compensation for the gap between the value of a brand new one and the damaged one. He just gets either a brand new one or the value of a brand new one and the Ganov will be able to keep the damaged goods. The idea of shaman of making an evaluation is only in the case of Nizokin, not in the case of Ganav Agazlan. Then Yomer Af and Shmuel is asserting, I say there is Shuma also for a Shoah, for a borrower. If somebody borrowed something, and then while it is in the possession of the borrower, something happened, there's damage. So Shmuel says that there will be a Shuma, an appraisal done there, and the owner will have to take the damaged goods as part of the restitution that the borrower is going to make good on. And as Rashi points out, Rav is Abba. Rav agreed to me. Hmm. Let's catch up on the Rashi before that. Ellen is Akin. Shamin. There is an obligation. As we said, this verse that we've been working on, and the carcass shall be to him, to the Nizik, the damaged party takes the carcass as part of the restitution. Back in the Gemara. Boilu. He was asked, the question was raised to him, or to them. Af Are we saying, in, in terms of what Shmuel said, even for a borrower, there is an appraisal, and Rav agreed to me. Or perhaps, this is what was said. And I say, Shmuel said, even for a borrower, there is no appraisal, meaning it will be similar to a Ganav and a Gazlan. And Rav conceded to me that that was the case. So it was a bit obscure what exactly Shmuel was saying concerning a show for the borrower. When, when borrowed and then damage happened in his possession, is there an appraisal for restitution or not? Does he just have to pay full full fare and can keep the damaged items? Tashma, come in here, we'll prove which way it was said. Tahu Gavra, the show, Nago, there was a fellow that borrowed an axe, Mechave, from his friend, Tavra, and he broke it. Also, and the story came before Rav, who was a judge. So he said, go and pay a full value axe. Make restitution, give him a brand new axe. Derived from the story that there's no appraisal. If the axe was damaged, you still have an axe head that could be salvaged, maybe repaired, maybe you could use the handle. Whatever it is, there's some over here, if that would be part of the equation, you would evaluate it. But he said no. Rav said, just get him a brand new axe. We're talking about a case of a borrower that got damaged during that period when it was in the possession of the borrower. Adrab, the Mark contests this to the contrary. 
Look at the rest of the story. Rav Kana Rav Asi said to Rav, Is that really the law? And Rav was silent. So, yes, that was the first part of the story. Rav told the borrower of the axe when it got damaged and the, the two litigants came in and said, what do we do? So he told the borrower, make restitution, give him a brand new axe. But that's not the end of the story. Then Rav Kana and Rav Asi said to him, to Rav, the Dayan, is that really the law? And Rav was silent. So derived from there, just the opposite, that really an evaluation should be made in the case of a shoel for a borrower. Itmar. Omar Ula Omar Rebelazar. Shomin Leganav Legazan. So Ula, in the name of Rebelazar, says make an evaluation, an appraisal, for a Ganav and a Gazlan, against what we've been saying until now, in the name of Shmuel. Rapapi Omar ain't Shomin. Rapapi disagreed, and he said, no, for a Ganav and a Gazlan, a robber, a thief and a robber, there is no appraisal. The victim gets compensation with brand new goods or the value of the full object that was stolen. And what is the halacha? And the halacha is there is no appraisal made in the restitution process that the ganav or gazlan must pay the full fare. However, when the borrower comes to make good on making restitution for the damaged item he borrowed, then an evaluation is made. Like Rav Kana Ravasi said, that they contested the ruling of Rav, and he was quiet. The assertion that there is an appraisal by a shoel, and something is damaged by the domain of the borrower, that requires an appraisal. That is how we pass him. The Omar Ula Amar Okay, once we started with the teaching of Ula in the name of Rebbe Lazar, again, that we didn't pass in this way, we pass in the other way, that there is a, an appraisal made by a Shoal, but we're going to have a whole slew of teachings in his name. What else does he teach? If there's a placenta, that some of it was released on one day, and some of it also on the second day. So part was discharged on day one, part on day two. For the purposes of Tuma, of ritual impurity, it is counted from the first day. What is your intention? To be stringent? Meaning, the status of the birthing for the status of ritual impurity. If you're trying to be stringent and say that the birthing took place on day one, when you're not sure because it happened over the course of two days, so chomra does the day kulo. It's a stringency that leads to a leniency. Why? Because if you're counting from day one, then you will also consider the time frame for becoming ritually pure from day one. And that's too early if you're just saying day one as a stringency. Because maybe the primary birthing took place on day two and you'd be a day early from your account of when to be eligible 
to become racially pure? Ela Amar Rava, rather Rava said, Lochush Chosheshes Mimna Lomimna Ela Lesheni. That the concern we will say from day one, but for actual counting will be from only the second day. Ma'ak Mashmalon. What is the chiddush? What is the novelty here? De'ein mikzas shilya belovlad that we assert that you do not have part of the placenta discharged without also part of the fetus. Tanino, and it was also already taught. Shilya shiyatsa mikzasa asura bechila. If part of the placenta was discharged. It is prohibited to eat. Simen vlad beisha, simen vlad bebehema. It's an indication, both by a woman and by an animal, if the placenta comes out, some of the fetus has come out with the placenta. If I would just derive from this teaching, meaning what is the chiddush of Ula, in the name of Rebbe Lazar. So from the mission, I would have just said, Have Amina, Deyesh, Mixas, Shelia, Lovla. I would have said that really, you could have part of the placenta come out without any of the fetus. Ugzeira, Mixasa, Atakula. And there would be a rabbinic decree saying some of the discharge of the placenta is considered as though the whole thing went out. We know if the whole thing went out, then ain chilia blovlat. So certainly some of the fetus came out as well. But maybe it's only a rabbinic decree if some of the chilia came out to say that some of the blood came out. No. We're saying it's not a xera, it's not just a rabbinic decree. But ain't shilly of Lovlad means even when part of the placenta is discharged, part of the fetus is also discharged. Let's see Rashi. Shilya Shiatsu Kamla. When follows Shilya Shavasala Imatumaz Metara, Sha'ain Shilya Blovlad, Ella Shimuach Misoka. We do assert that there is no placenta without a fetus, but the fetus has been dissolved, and we say that there's a need for the status of sitting uh, in a state of impurity, and as well the subsequent state of, of purity. Monolamin it is counted from the first day. From the first day is the status of impurity, even if it was a dry birth, so to speak. As a stringency, as soon as the placenta is discharged or part of it is discharged, we will render anything that was made in contact that would transmit a state of impurity through that contact from that point. The Will you say that there's a doubt about what the status of the fetus was? 
which of course is critical to determining the days of purity and impurity. Is it uh, seven days or fourteen days? But lechumra, say lechumra, and then the, both ways, seven and fourteen and forty and eighty, you'll say the chumra. But if you start from day one, you'll start counting damtar from tezvot. They have it. If you actually count the birth from the second day, then you'd have to wait an additional day to consider the days of Dam Tohar. And if you count it from the first day, so you'll be a day early, which is a leniency. We are concerned to consider any Taras, anything that was preserved in a state of ritual purity, that she came in contact with in a way that would transmit impurity from the first day. But, she does not count the number the two weeks of Tuma that she's being stringent for because maybe it's in a cave, we don't know. So that is counted from the second day. What's going to teach you? Ula who's saying that we are concerned that it it's not, as we saw at the end, it's not a gzera, but we assess that although only part of the placenta was discharged, it does not come out alone, it comes out at least with part of the fetus. Therefore we are concerned, maybe it was already the majority of the fetus that came out with this partial shelia, uh, this partial placenta, once the majority of the fetus comes out, it's considered like-born. And even though we're not talking about a live birth, the status of ritual purity and impurity is dependent. She'll have a dinyo ledes at this point. Once the majority of the parts of the fetus are discharged, that is the the term, the, t- the point at which birth is considered. But we do not certainly count the birth from the first day, because maybe it was not the majority of the fetus that was discharged at Shane until the second day. If you would say that some of the fetus, uh, of the placenta, is discharged without the fetus, we would not be concerned to render those things that were pure that she came in contact with as ritually impure. We would not be so concerned. The name of Tre to say two stringencies. Dilma Nafka, the Nafka. Maybe the parts of the fetus came out, and maybe it's even a majority. We didn't see it. We just saw part of the placenta come out. But since we know that Ain Shilabalovlad, even Mixa Shilabalovlad, that's why we're concerned. Maybe row of the the fetus, majority of the fetus, has already come out. Shelia shall behema, parallel the placenta of an animal that part of it came out. Kodem shkitas behema before the slaughter of the mother. Asura kula, the entire thing is prohibited. Afapi she'ain ba'avlad, even though we did not see any fetus coming out with this shelia with, with this placenta. 
since the placenta is an indication of the fetus, both by a woman and an animal, we say that any discharge of placenta comes together with partial discharge of the fetus, but rather it has been dissolved. Maybe the majority of the fetus has already came out with the minority of this placenta. And we established that once the majority has come out, it's considered as though it was born. And therefore, although more may come out subsequently, it is not going to be permitted by the slaughter of the mother. The and it has a tin trefa. And we are concerned that as much as for sure some of the ober came out, maybe it was rope. Next Rashi, tap Yiralath Ahmed Beis. D.H. makes a shilib lovlad. Udika astri la bachila gzera. And that which we say it's prohibited to eat, say it's a decree. Miksasa atukula, a majority, a minority. Because of the majority, or the all of it, if, if all of it come out. That which we say, that the, the discharge of the placenta is an indication of the vlad, of the, of the fetus. It is not going on the minority. This is what is meant to be said. It is prohibited to eat. The entire fetus will be prohibited to eat as a decree where it all went out. And you'll come to say that there is no Vlad. If it goes back, you'd be lenient and permit with the Shechit of the mother. And it'll be eating Nevela. And it'll be eating Nevela. There is a way that this could lead to a problem of eating something that is prohibited by the animal. But we don't have a similar problem when it comes to the woman in determining whether she has given birth or not. So we, we don't have a reason to make a to say that when the smaller part of the placenta is discharged that will already be concerned for the status of Yoletus, that she's given birth and will render anything she comes in contact with ritually impure from that first day, there there's no reason to make a decree. When do we count? It's from the second day. So we wouldn't need to make a decree, but... Therefore, the fact that we do have this stringency, we are being machmer for Tuma. She comes in contact with something on the first day to say maybe she already gave birth to the majority of this dissolved fetus because we know the ancient Vlad, even Mikitsas Shilya, below Mikitsas Vlad. So we know that some of the, of the Ober came out, some of the fetus came out, we are going to be concerned of Tuma, and you wouldn't know this parallel from the case of the animal, where there's a concern of Achila. Here there's no concern of Achila, and we are counting from the second day for Tumah. Because, it, as we said, it's a, a Bia Chumra, maybe Lekula, 
and the Ikka counting, the, the counting for Damtar is going to be from the second day as astringency. Continuing on our role with teachings from Ula in the name of Rabbi Elazar, if a firstborn Israelite was killed within the 30 days of birth, there is no opinion of them. He is not redeemed. Rashi, the firstborn of a man who was killed, was killed within 30 days. Ain Podenoso, he's not redeemed. In Saragodoso, there's no need to redeem him. The Imais Me'atzmo, and if he died on his own, Lo then there's no need to mention this. Toxif, the verse states, from the time of one month old is when he's redeemed. There is a necessity to mention this. There is a novelty here because he was killed. And don't say that if not for the fact that he was killed, he would have lived. And don't say that he was a Nafel and exempt the father from redeeming this dead child that died within 30 days. Meaning, if the baby died on his own, that's an indication he was not viable. And that's straight out from the verse that we have a suffolk nafel until 30 days. He's not considered viable until we know he's been alive for 30 days. But if he was killed within 30 days, so maybe we would presume that he was viable, but he was just killed. Therefore, Ula, in the name of Rebbe is teaching you, no, there is no requirement for Pidyan, even though there's the consideration that he didn't die on his own, he was killed. Nonetheless, there's no Pidyan. V'chein Tani Rami Barchamo, and similarly it was taught by Rami Barchamo, mitoch shenema, from that which is said, Pado Sifte, you shall surely redeem, Yochel Afilu Nitraf, Zochamed, maybe that would include even if the baby was killed within 30, within 30 days, Tamalomar, therefore the verse teaches you, Ach, the verse says, Ach Pado Sifte. However, to be mechalak achalak, that it's differentiated. Not every time is there going to be redemption. In the case where, even if he might have been viable, but he was killed, there is no need to redeem. Va'amar ula amr belazar, another teaching from ula in the name of Rabbi Elazar, that a large domestic animal is acquired through mishicha, through pulling it, that's an effective way of making this symbolic transaction, the act that transfers the ownership from one to the other. And we have a teaching in a Mishnah, that by giving over the reins, that also affects the transaction, the transferring ownership of one party to the other. The one who's teaching this, Rabbi Ula in the name of Rabbi Lazar, he's saying like that Tano, the Tanya that was taught in Abraisa, and the sages said, both this and that, and are subject to a canon of Meshicha, this symbolic act 
of pulling the animal affects a transaction, when that is the intent, to transfer ownership from one party to the other through Mashiach. Rabbi Shimon Rabbi Shimon says both daka, a large domestic animal as well as the smaller domesticated animals will also be acquired through Hagba by lifting it up. See Rashi. The Mesira Tanan. The Kedushin. The first chapter of Kedushin. Since he has given him over the reins, he has acquired it. Even though the buyer has not yet pulled the animal from the domain of the seller, nonetheless, the handing over the reins is adequate. That's the Mesira. Both the animals that are larger, like a cow, as well as smaller, like a sheep, through Hagba, as we saw Rabbi Shimon says, lifting it up affects a kinyan. It can be the symbolic act to transfer ownership. The gasa, how do you lift up a cow? You don't need a forklift. You can place bundles of branches underneath its legs, and it will climb onto them. So helping it to ascend is a way of making a kinyan hagba, lifting it up. Back in the Gemara. The Amar Ula Amar Rebelazar, another teaching from Ula in the name of Rebelazar. Ha'achin Shechalku. The brothers who are dividing the estate. Ma Shalein Shamin. That which is upon them is part of the appraisal of how to divide the estate. Ma Shabnein Abnosein Ein Shamin. But those, the clothing that is upon their sons and daughters, do not enter into the equation of dividing the estate. Rashi. That which is on their sons and daughters, they do not appraise. Since the brothers are the one, they're the ones engaged in this division of the estate, not their family. So their sons and daughters do not enter into the court. We do not embarrass them, it's a bizui. them to bring them into the court to appraise the value of the clothing they're wearing. Amar of Papa, Pamim Papa says even sometimes that which is upon the brothers is not subject to an appraisal for dividing up the estate. Sometimes we'll find it by the greatest of the brothers that it is worthwhile for the other brothers that he be dressed in a fine manner that people will listen to him. Rashi speaks out. The biggest one of the brothers. He's the one who is dealing with the business matters. For managing the estate. Until now, it was worthwhile for the brothers. That they should, from their own, be willing to clothe him in finery. In order that his words be heard, if people are dressed nicely, so they will have people's attention, people give them greater respect, and it is worth it for the other brothers to pitch in from their own partial ownership stake in the estate 
they want that the representative of the family, the oldest brother, should be well listened to in business dealings. So that's not deducted from the value of how to divide the estate. The, the younger brothers are paying for that of their own. It's worth it for them. Va'amar Ula Amar and another teaching from Ula in the name of Rabbi Elazar, Shomer Shomer Potter. A guardian who gives over his charge to another guardian is exempt. And not only is this the case, says Ula in the name of Rabbi Elazar, when an unpaid watchman gives it over to a paid watchman, that he has enhanced the liability of his guardianship, meaning when he was guarding it, he was a shomachim, he was an unpaid watchman, when he handed over his charge to another watchman and paid that second watchman, so there's greater liability of the watchman. So he's helping, in a certain sense, the owner to have more opportunity to collect should something happen to the charge. Not only in that case, but even in the opposite case, where the one who is the watchman originally was being paid, and that paid watchman hands over his charge to an unpaid watchman. He is downgrading the liability of the watchman. So his, he's being, to some degree, more reckless. Nami Potter still asserts, Ula, in the name of Rabbi Lazar, the watchman, the first watchman, will be exempt. Because he has done a, an adequate job of protecting this item, he's given it over to a bendas, somebody who is capable of being a good guardian. And that's enough, according to Ula, in the name of Rabbi Lazar. Rav Omar, Shomer Shomer Rav says, and that's how we pass him, just the opposite. A guardian who gives it over to another guardian is liable. And not only is that the case when he is detracted from the degree of responsibility, if he was a paid watchman handing it over the charge to an unpaid watchman, where the unpaid watchman is less liable, but even an unpaid watchman who hands it over to a paid watchman, he's going to be liable. Meaning, even though the watchman can say, I enhanced you, the owner's ability to recoup, should something happen, you weren't paying me, and I paid him. So, that's an enhancement. Nonetheless, he is still personally liable. The owner can say, you do I trust with an oath? Meaning a shomer has to either pay, or as we saw, bring witnesses, or if it's between them, take an oath. So he says, I believed you with an oath. Hi, But that other fellow that you gave it to, technically on paper, he's more liable, but I don't trust his oath. I trusted you with your oath. So therefore, the first guardian's liability remains. Rashi. Shomer Shamasla Shomer Pater. Harishon. The first guardian. Bechol Osan Dinim Shai Pater. 
אם הייסר אצלו, פלטר נא מהשתא. למרין המשיעי זו שמס של אישה אחר. The first מהלך, אולה, the name of Rabbi Lozer, says we do not consider it negligence on the part of the guardian that he's handed it over to somebody else. לא מבוי שמכינם שמס לה שמר סחר. Not only is that the case that it's not considered negligent when he has enhanced the degree of liability, when he was unpaid and he's handing it over to a paid watchman, and the difference between the two is if the charge was stolen or lost, so an unpaid watchman is exempt. An unpaid watchman is only liable for pshia, only for negligence. So you have an enhanced protection, a greater guarantee, once it's been handed over to a paid watchman. He's enhanced the guardianship. The paid watchman, because he's more liable, his neck is on the line, he's going to try harder to protect his charge than an unpaid watchman. If it's lost or stolen, the paid watchman is going to have to pay. So he's going to have to be held responsible. He's going to try harder to prevent it from being stolen or lost. And that should be considered an enhancement. Even says Ula in the name of Rabbi Lazar, a paid guardian who transfers the charge to a, an unpaid guardian, even though he's downgrading the degree of protection, he's nonetheless exempt. And the owner is not able to claim to the guardian, the original guardian, that by giving it to another, you're a poshe, that you're considered negligent. So even though onis happened, but, and therefore, it was out of the control, uh, the animal got struck by lightning. So even the second guardian is exempt. He's only held liable for the case where it was stolen or got lost. But in the case of Onsen, he too is pater. The owner can't say, that's true, that the second, owner, the second guardian is exempt from that, but you're still held liable because you're poshea. You're considered negligent. That he's not able to say. Since he gave it over to a responsible party, it's not considered a pshia. That's the first mahalach, Ula, in the name of Rabbi Lazar. But as we saw, we pass in like Rava, that is chayev, afilu be'onsin, even in the case of onsin. So even in that case where you have an unpaid watchman who handed over the charge to a paid watchman and has enhanced the liability, so he's in theory helping the owner by giving him greater ability to recoup the losses. In the cases of Gneva Vaveda, if it got stolen or, or lost, there would be greater liability. And then what actually happened was an onis. So then the animal got struck by lightning, let's say. The charge is no longer here. The first watchman is liable because he's considered a poshaya. He should not have handed it over. The unpaid watchman swears that he was not negligent. If there's no witnesses, he has to swear. And the owner of the object can say, I trusted you specifically with your oath. And you need to swear that you're not Poshea, otherwise you have to pay. And you can't swear. Koven Chob, that's right. So that's, that is the, uh, 
the maskana of the sugi over here, that, that we pass like Rava, that the enhanced shmira, the, the enhanced protection for the owner is not adequate to exempt the first watchman, the unpaid watchman, he will actually be liable even in a case of onsen, even for a case where there should have been an exemption from not only him as an unpaid watchman, but even the second watchman who was paid because it's nechshav as a pshia. That's the way Rashi seems to learn. Let's take a look at the Ramam and Raivid. Niske momen perek dalet halachid alet. Moser ha-shomer l-shomer If one guardian gives over to another, ha-shomer rishon chayv l-shalom The first guardian is liable to pay to the one who is damaged. Sha-shomer shamasla shomer chayv. Because a guardian who gives over his charge to another guardian is liable. Ba-rei ha-nizik omer lo. And behold, the one who was damaged can say to him, Why didn't you guard it personally yourself? And instead you gave it to somebody else. You pay me. And you can go and take your guardian that you took in your stead, go to judgment with him, take him to court. You, you can collect your losses from him. I dealt with you. Let's see the Ravid. Amar Avram, Kolze Einamachovim. All this is not clear. Ela Hanizik Gove Minasheni. Rather, says the Ravid, the one who is damaged can collect from the second party. Oh, Meeze Shirta. Or from whichever one he wants. The Ad Sheome Le Shome. Emelabailam Lama Lo Shamata. Ata Es Sharcha. Until he says to the guardian, tell the owner, why did you not guard yourself, your ox, Hayroshi, and by my head, all that is written concerning this, is not necessary. Because you can't say over here, I don't want my charge to be in the hands of another. Because the owner is not losing anything. Ravid says they are only getting enhanced protection. So the, the owner of this charge, says the Ravid, has a right to collect both from the first watchman and the second watchman. And according to the Rambam, he has a right to collect only from the first watchman. He cannot collect from the second one. And the, the corollary is that he views the first watchman as a type of poshea, as a, a type of negligence. He says, you have given over your charge when you should have maintained it. I trusted you with it. I entrusted it to you. I don't care that on paper somebody else has more liability than you. The Ravid says no. He's closer to the stance of Ula and Rabbi Lazar. We don't pass him like that in either opinion, not Rambam or Ravid. But he's closer in that he views it as legitimate. He gave it over to Bandas. He's not called the Poshea. Yes, he's still on the hook, but he is not considered to have harmed the owner. That's what he's saying. They're losing nothing. They're only enhancing 
their ability to collect, a greater liability on the part of the additional guardian. And that seems to be a machlokas. Is this itself considered a pshia? The, the Gemara speaks on believability for the oath. The Ramam is, is not even talking about the oath. The oath is just a, a side point. The, the, the primary nikkud of the Ramam is focusing on is I tr- entrusted this to you. I don't, I don't mind that there's, or I don't care, Ramam is presenting, that the object on paper has more cases where it will be, uh, that the, the guardian will need to pay for it, will need to be liable for it. He cares that it be protected. And he only trusted the first guardian, not the second guardian. And therefore, he says, you, you can do whatever you want afterwards, but you're the one who's liable to me. You're the one who I entrusted, nobody else. That's a, a machlokas. Rama Ravid is this is considered a, a misstep on the part of the guardian. The, the Rashi seems to go like the Ramam, he's busy with Pshia, meaning the giving to, over to another is considered Pshia, uh, according to Rava, and that's how we pass him. Whereas the Ravid learns the machlokas is smaller, that it's not a Pshia, it's just a question of liability, and the first one is still on the hook but he has not fundamentally been negligent with his charge.